chapter 19. Gospel of Luke and chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Let's hear now the word of God. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you and praise you tonight as we read these words and see the great love and care and faithfulness and mercy that you show to this sinner. And Lord, each one of us humbly bow and cry, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Help us this night to read these words, to learn these lessons, that we might, like Zacchaeus, be changed men and women, boys and girls, for the work of Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, the incident mentioned in Luke chapter 19 is probably one of the best-known stories recorded by any of the gospel writers. Its notoriety can be attributed to several things. One of them is the simple and yet striking way in which it portrays how the Lord Jesus Christ often reached out to minister to those who were despised by society in general, but especially when they were rejected by the religious community, which was certainly the case here. But Zacchaeus is probably more well-known because of the children's song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, and I am not going to sing it for you. But it is a telling, simple child's song that highlights various things about Zacchaeus. The fact is, brothers and sisters, you ask most people 
So what do you know about Zacchaeus? And they will most likely say, well, I know that he was a short little guy and he wanted to see Jesus But because there were so many people in the street and crowd in front of him, he couldn't see. And therefore, he ran ahead and climbed up into a tree so that he could see Jesus passing by. Now, my friends, these details are true and they are memorable. But there are lessons to be learned here from the life of Zacchaeus that are far more meaningful and more revealing of important spiritual truths. Truths that can significantly impact your life and mine, even tonight. So we're going to take the time to look upon this man Zacchaeus and to study the truths which the scriptures highlight for us. And chief among those is the way that Zacchaeus hungered and thirsted after righteousness, after God. And we're going to look at that in three ways. You have the headings there in your bulletins. First of all, a deep desire, a deep desire to see and to know Jesus Christ. Secondly, a radical change in the way that Zacchaeus lived his life. And then lastly, an extraordinary blessing upon the household of Zacchaeus. Let's look first of all at this deep desire to see and to know Jesus. Now, last week, we mentioned the fact that Jesus is on his way. He is literally a week away from Jerusalem and the crucifixion. And he's passing through Jericho. Now, we mentioned this last week, but I didn't give you any details. Just to highlight a few things about Jericho. Jericho is not some little obscure place that nobody's ever heard of. Or knows anything about. In other words, this is not like Centralia, Pennsylvania. How many of you know about Centralia, Pennsylvania? A few, okay. The smallest town in Pennsylvania. As of 2019 census, there were three people living in Centralia, Pennsylvania. (laughs) I think it's gone up to seven now. Somebody got married and had triplets, something like that. This is not Centralia. This is the Philadelphia of its day. Jericho was a thriving hub on a main trade route for the region. It was one of the few places that had fresh water. So it was highly prized. There was an oasis there. It's known for its beautiful trees and rose gardens and rare fragrances. So much so that the Roman general Marcus Antony gave Jericho to Cleopatra as a gift. This was a beautiful 
rare treasure of a place. As a Roman province, Jericho became a major source of income and revenue through heavy taxation. And guess who was the chief tax collector in Jericho? It was Zacchaeus, who, as you might expect, became very rich, in large part by unjust and false taxation and transactions. Now, none of these things, none of these details, as I've just laid them before you, surprise us very much. I mean, very simply, here was a corrupt man working for probably one of the most corrupt governments that have ever reigned, and he was living and enjoying all the perks of a corrupt society in which he lived. What is surprising is that this man suddenly began to desire to know the true and living God. All of a sudden, inexplicably, Zacchaeus, who had lived for nothing but pleasure and money and power, is now deeply desiring to see Jesus, to know who is this Jesus fellow. And he has this desire in his heart. It's not just curiosity. Zacchaeus does not just want to see Jesus passing by like the crowds that gather at the airport to see some famous politician or perhaps the president of the United States coming to town. It's not the crowds that gather on Hollywood's uh, uh, main roads to see some movie star pass by. No, Zacchaeus has a desire, a longing in his heart to know more about Jesus. Who is this man that I've heard so much about? He desires to speak with him, perhaps to, to hear him preach. And so he's, he's got this desire. It's not just a Well, it would be nice to see him, but it probably will never happen, so I'm not going to worry about it. This is a desire, a, a passionate, enthusiastic desire in his heart that says, I'm going to do whatever's necessary so that I can see this man and perhaps talk to him and learn about who he is. And when this man's passionate desire meets with obstacles. He wants to see Jesus, but he can't. He can't see over the crowd. He can't work his way through. What does he do? He runs ahead and he climbs up in a sycamore tree, type of fig tree. And he climbs up in this tree so that he can see Jesus. Now, why? Children, you like to climb trees? You probably have different reasons for doing that. It's fun. Maybe you like to jump out of them and break your leg or something like that. But 
you have different reasons. Why would this man forget about his dignity, his elevated government official office, and climb up in a tree like a child? Why would he do that? Why would he do something so out of character for a man who is a high-ranking government official? Now, perhaps many of you, like me, know that the answer to that question is the mysterious, sovereign work of God in the heart of men, in the heart of sinners. I know some of you have heard this story, and I may have even used it in a sermon, but when I was first converted, I was in a, in a small Presbyterian church, became very close friends with the pastor, and would spend every day at his house for an hour praying together on my lunch break from school. And then I heard that Presbyterians believed in predestination. And I could not believe my ears. And I went to this pastor and I said, is this true? You really believe this? And he was like, yes, son. I went ballistic. I was so angry, I stormed out of the house and slammed the door behind me. The next day I went back for prayer. He never mentioned it. But he did give me a book, Knowing God by Packer. I was about three or four chapters into that book that night, and I came across a citation of Psalm 65, 4. Blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach you. And I was like, are you kidding me? Where did that come from? And I grabbed the phone and I called that pastor and I said, Hey, pastor, listen to this verse. That's that Calvinism stuff, isn't it? And he said, yes, son. That was the beginning for me. It was God showing me that he chooses men for himself. He causes them to approach him. Little did Zacchaeus know that God was working in his heart. That God was drawing him after Christ. That God was making him willing to come to Jesus. Remember how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Well, God was drawing Zacchaeus. But my friend, the more important question is Has God drawn you to faith in Christ? Has God worked in you to make you willing? Is He working right now? Children, is God working to draw you to Himself? It is He who chooses and causes us to come to him. But it doesn't stop there. 
As we continue to read, we see that there is a radical change in the way Zacchaeus lived. Now, it's a good thing when there are spiritual desires in your heart. But my friends, listen closely. If those spiritual desires are genuine, if they are the work of the Spirit of God in your heart, the Spirit of God will never stop with the desires. But he will continue to bring and to produce unmistakable fruit in your life. And my friends, God does not leave us to wonder about our spiritual state. There's no one in this room that should be sitting there thinking, well, I'm just not real sure, Pastor. Because God has given us ways. He's given us signs of spiritual life. Just as it as with physical life. There are going to be signs of spiritual life. Now, if you're alive physically, there's going to be evidences. There's going to be movement. There's going to be thought. There's going to be words. You're going to speak. You're going to act. You're going to move. You're going to breathe. There's going to be a heartbeat. There's going to be a pulse. If you don't have any of those things, more than likely you're not alive. But the same thing is true spiritually. When God makes you alive in Christ Jesus, there will be signs of that spiritual life. It's going to be a love for Christ. It's going to be a love for the word of Christ. There's going to be a love for the worship of Christ. There's going to be a love for the service of Christ. You're going to be involved in the life of of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. In the case of Zacchaeus, there were clear evidences of a radical change that had taken place. You see, this is a common problem in the scriptures, in Old Testament, New Testament, in the epistles. We find frequently the scripture speaking of the fact that anyone can say with their words, I believe in Jesus. But my friends, if nothing changes about the way you live, then you have very good reason to question the reality and the depth of that professed salvation. Now, with Zacchaeus, there was no doubt whatsoever. Jesus goes to his house, perhaps has a meal with him, and during that time begins teaching and proclaiming to Zacchaeus and his friends the ways of eternal life. And at some point, we read in verse 8, that Zacchaeus stood up and begins to speak. It sounds as if he perhaps even interrupted the Lord Jesus in his teaching. He stands up and he says two things. Number one, I give half my goods for the poor. 
And number two, if I've taken anything falsely or unjustly, I restore it fourfold. Now let's look at these two elements because what a telling description of the change that had suddenly taken place in this man's heart and in the way he was going to live from this point on. The first thing he says, I give half my goods to the poor. Now, brothers and sisters, let those words sink in just a little bit. Can you imagine what that would be like for you? Let's say that you have a Zacchaeus moment and you go home tonight and you sit down and you tally up all your financial assets and then you write a check for half that amount and give it to Project Share. Could you do that? Could you go to your closets, open the the closet doors, and there your clothes are lined out for you that you enjoy, and you just draw a line and say, okay, this half I'm going to give away to the Salvation Army for people who don't have sufficient clothes to wear. Could you gather up all your furniture and say, okay, half of it tomorrow morning goes to help the poor? The point is, brothers and sisters, this was no small change in the way Zacchaeus was going to live. This was a major, a radical change that was going to take place. Now, it becomes even more dramatic when you realize Jesus never demanded this of any other believer. He did not demand it of Zacchaeus. This was something Zacchaeus wanted to do because God was working mightily in the heart and life of this man. God had opened his eyes to see who Jesus was. He had opened his heart to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And now he was opening Zacchaeus's hands to minister to those around him. This man who had for his entire life lived entirely for himself was now thinking about the needs of others less fortunate. And he was ready to make that change. What a contrast is presented here compared to the rich young ruler when Jesus told him, go and sell everything and give it to the poor, come and follow me. And he went away sad because of his riches. He chose riches over eternal life. This man sees a radical change. I'm going to give half of what I own for the sake of the poor. Then the second thing that he mentions, if I have taken anything falsely, unjustly, 
if I've made false transactions that have increased my wealth, I am going to restore it fourfold. This is not some token good works idea in Zacchaeus for the mercy that had been shown to him. This is radical. The if here is not an if of possibility. It's an if of reality. It's a sense idea. If I have done anything in every occasion that I have done this thing of, of gathering unjust gain, I am going to restore it. Now listen, this was going way beyond what the Old Testament law required. If you go back to Leviticus 6, 5, a, number, a similar passage in Numbers, you find that restoration laws were the value of the thing that had been taken unjustly had to be restored plus one-fifth of it. So let's put it this way. Say you took $20 from someone unjustly. Maybe you tax them when there was no tax, but you're the chief tax collector, so they have to pay what you say. So you took $20. If you're going to restore that, you pay the $20 plus four. So you pay back 24. But what is Zacchaeus saying? Zacchaeus saying is, I'm going to pay back the 20 and then I'm going to multiply it by four. I'm going to pay back 80. This was a radical change. What happened that day in the heart and life of Zacchaeus was not some mild twinge of guilt because of the way he had been living for himself. It, it was not, I'm, I'm going to do a few uh, things for, for good works to satisfy the way I have erred. This was a radical change in the life of Zacchaeus. One writer puts it this way when he says, when the Lord Jesus enters a house, unrighteousness moves out. My friends, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there will be changes. Changes in the way you talk, changes in the attitude you have towards your parents or towards your employer, towards your husband, towards your wife. There are going to be radical changes in your view of church, of, of the worship of Christ. There's going to be changes. The Apostle Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. Well, lastly, we have the extraordinary blessing <clears throat> upon the household of Zac Zacchaeus. After Zacchaeus has given his testimony of how God has changed his life, Jesus gives the 
theological explanation of exactly what has happened and why. So Zacchaeus expresses these changes and Jesus begins to describe what's happened. Look at verse 9 and 10. Jesus said, Today, salvation has come to this house, for he is a son of Abraham. And the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Today, salvation has come to this house. The tense of the verb is describing a point in time. This was not true over a long period of time. This was not something that had already happened. This was something that happened that day. Today, salvation came to this house. That is what Jesus gives as the explanation of what has taken place. And Jesus does not merely say, salvation has come to you, Zacchaeus. He said, salvation has come to this house. His whole household. And no details given, but brothers and sisters, here is yet another example of how God frequently works in families. How he touches more than just one. Occasionally, that's what happens. But the general tone and what we see time and time again in the Gospels and particularly in the New Testament, but even in the Old, is God working in families. It's the very nature of the mother promise of the covenant. I will be a God to you, Abraham, and to your children after you. I will make my covenant with you, Abraham, and with your descendants after you. So, my friends, what we see here is the way God works and blesses not only us, but our children and our children's children. Anybody here remember or familiar with the Ten Commandments? You know, we find them listed for us in Exodus 20. We know the commandments. Do you know the promises attached to them? Listen to what God says in the second commandment. You know the language. You shall not make for yourself any carved image, any likeness of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now listen. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God has judgment upon those families that despise him, that reject him. And he says to the third and fourth generation, I will press that upon them. But listen to verse 6 but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
what God is saying. Literally, the word means a thousand generations. God is saying, I will bless you. I will favor you. Not just you, but a thousand generations after you. Listen again to the language of Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. That means parents. God's not just looking at you. He's not just after your heart. He is going to work for a thousand generations in your children, your children's children, your children's children's children. It can go on in perpetuity. God is merciful and he is gracious to a thousand generations. We see the way God works in families when Lydia's heart is open and all our household is brought in and baptized. We see the same thing in the Philippian jailer. God not only converts this man, but his whole household believes. We see it in the case of Jairus, the man whose daughter was dying, and and he comes to Jesus and says, please come, and Jesus says, okay, I'll go. This man's daughter was not the believer. Jairus is the one pleading for mercy. And Jesus heals the daughter and works grace in the heart of the father. What we see time and time again is the way that Jesus works in families and ministers. And that means, parents, listen. It means you need to pray earnestly faithfully, daily for your children. It means you need to teach them the things of God. You need to show them the way of salvation that they need to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord. You need to show them the blessings of obedience, what God's Word testifies over and over again. And if you have a wayward child, do not give up. Keep praying. Keep believing this promise that God will be a God to you and to your children after you. My friends, there may be no physical evidence of that but you keep praying and you keep believing in the promise of God the blessing of salvation falls upon Zacchaeus and his household because he is a child of Abraham not merely a physical descendant but one who, like Abraham, had now believed the promise of God and the provision of God in Christ.
Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, for the most part, I think people look at this and they see Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. That's there. But you know what else is actually going on? Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus. And he is finding and he is taking hold of him. And he is making him a child of God forever and ever. That is what I believe we are taught in the life of Zacchaeus. A deep desire to seek after God, to seek after Christ, to seek after the kingdom, to hunger and thirst for righteousness that we might have eternal life. We see radical changes that take place when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl puts their faith in Christ. It changes you forever. And we see this extraordinary blessing of salvation to you and to your children, to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the close of this day, we acknowledge that we are weak, frail creatures of dust that we can do nothing in and of our own strength. But you, the mighty God, the God of the covenant, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are our God. And you have promised to bless us and our children after us. Lord, draw near. Draw near to us and strengthen us in our faith. Help us like that father of the demoniac boy as we cry, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, have mercy upon us. Forgive us where we have faltered. Forgive us where we have doubted. Forgive us where we have given up. And bless us by your power and spirit to put our whole heart and faith and trust in you, our God. And may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a few moments. Think upon these lessons that we've heard tonight from the life of Zacchaeus.